Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 101. And in this episode, we'll discuss the concept of market cycles. Now, if you review historical markets over the past 100 years, you may find clues as to how generally markets behave. There is no golden rule in investing in that the past performance does not indicate future performance. Now, we all know that. But ironically, the first thing we look at when judging investments is actually to look at the past performance. So in this episode, we'll go into a deep dive into market cycles and break them into, um, it's usually about four components to it. For those of you that are new to the channel, the aim of this channel is to educate, to be empowered about finances, and to be entertained. Just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to your appropriate advisors if you want to make any changes after listening to one of my episodes. But if you're looking for some broad principles and broad concepts, here are some simple steps to get you on the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could do. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That's your money never to be touched again. Step two is invest that money, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market and the index fund market, so I just invest in index funds. Step three is reinvest dividends. The power of compounding is phenomenal. Step four is you do it for the long term, not five, 10 or 15 years, but I'm talking 20 30, if not 40 plus years. And step five is automate those investments. The more chances you automate, the more chances, or sorry, the less chances, I should say, of you making a mistake or forgetting to invest in the long run. Now, if you did these five simple steps and hopefully started as early in your career as possible, you should have more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just the tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you a lot better. Um, and before we get on to the main topics, um, just a couple of things. Uh, I've had some great feedback of reaching 100 episodes last week, so thank you very much for that. I actually did not realise how many people actually listen to this podcast channel. So um, it's been a bit of an eye opener. Like I said, I sort of randomly started it about two years ago. So um, I'll have to pay a little bit more attention to the number of downloads that I get, uh, but it's uh, becoming quite significant. So thank you very much for that. And hopefully that 100 episode about going back to basics, um, keeping things simple uh, when it comes to your personal finances and investing, um, I think really resonated with a lot of people. 
because they just felt that that one episode was enough to trigger them to, you know, get interested in their personal finance, investing or debts, etc. So thanks very much for all the feedback. Um, and before we get on to the main topic of market cycles in this one, I got a message from a medical student who's about to graduate from medical school at the end of this year. And, uh, well, first of all, congratulations. Um, I think, you know, any university degree or anything that you do after year 12 um, can be quite challenging, um, and certainly med school is, is one of those things. So, it, so it's, it's, really, it's a really great achievement, uh, particularly during a pandemic year. So congratulations to uh, the person that um, told me about this, the medical student, but also their class and uh, the class of 2020 around Australia and, and, of course, if you're overseas around the world. So congratulations on reaching a milestone and becoming a doctor. Um, and what they said to me was interesting. Um, I did a webinar which they attended um, to one of the medical schools, uh, final year medical um, cohort, um, and the webinar had about 130 plus students attend to it. It was basically me ranting about personal finance and some of the basic principles, and they attended that. And since then, they contacted me and they said they've set up a brokerage account, um, they've started buying their first ETF. And they have a strategy for next year when income comes into their account, a more stable income or a higher income, uh, how they are going to allocate their capital to the ETFs. Um, they told me that they're going to be paying themselves first and investing straight off the, uh, the top of their income. So when they get paid on the day, they're going to pay themselves first and take that money and put it away into investments. And that's going to be automated. And all of that, they told me they learned from that one webinar. And that's basically what I talk about um, it's a relatively boring sort of way of investing. Um, it's a relatively simple way of looking at personal finances. Then we got discussing about, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, and I asked them what sort of retirement they can expect if they just did that. And we crunched some numbers. Now, I'm not a personal financial advisor, but I like telling people what the potential can be if they just put a little bit of effort early and never have to do anything ever again so that they can see the rewards which are out there after, you know, 30, 40 years of investing. And this person was in their mid-20s. So, um, you know, they're very, very early in terms of their career. So we crunched some numbers um, and we sort of figured out that whichever way we looked at it, and that's accounting for a moderate income, you know, not significant, um, whichever way you looked at it, they're going to be retiring with about five to seven and a half million dollars worth of income-producing assets. That's income-producing assets. Um, very conservative estimate, very conservative monthly investment cycles, very conservative returns, and we calculated for about 40 years. And that doesn't include their super. This is just income-producing assets outside of super. And that doesn't include their personal house or personal property, um, which really isn't an investment anyway. And it doesn't include any property cycles either. We're just talking about taking money, the 20%, and putting it aside into an index fund and doing it forever. And, you know, expecting a 7 to 8% return in the 40 years, which I don't think is unreasonable. I don't think you're going to get the whole 9 to 11% that we've been getting over the last 100 years, but I think a 7 to 8% return is not an unreasonable expectation. And this just assumes 
that they earn just an average doctor's wage um, as an intern, resident, registrar and consultant, which is, you know, is pretty good, but we haven't taken into account any private practice income um, and we haven't taken into account any income where some of the doctors may be earning a very, very high income, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. That's not what we took into account. So it's not unreasonable income. Um, it's not unreasonable returns. It's just consistent investing, automated investing, long-term investing with average returns and let compounding work for them. Five to seven and a half million dollars. And what we also discussed was this doesn't account for any trust accounts, doesn't account for any creative accounting, doesn't account for earning loads and loads of money. Um, and you can still account for 20% luxury money every month. That's part of the budget that I have as part of the 30-30-20-20 rule. And it just takes time. It just takes discipline. It takes low fees and a very simple strategy to achieve the goals. In this particular case, it was around $7.5 million. Now, if you're a resident or an intern or a registrar or even a consultant or perhaps another profession and think it's not achievable, it is. It just needs a bit of planning, just like we all plan our holidays since lockdowns have ended. And I certainly have just booked in my first holiday at uh, mid-January 2021. If everything goes well, I'm going to take a week off and chill for a bit. So we plan for that and finances just need a little bit of planning. In fact, I'd probably argue less planning because you just have to plan for it once and it kind of keeps going on and on. So there you go. So congratulations to the medical students in class of 2022 and this particular person who's already started investing. So that's fantastic. Now to the main topic, what are market cycles? Now, we all discuss things like property market cycles and share market cycles, especially when it comes to bubbles and bull markets, etc. And historically, in the stock market, we've had bubbles like the 99 tech, bub, uh, tech boom bubble. We've had bubbles like the 2007 to 2009 GFC and financial crisis, and even the more recent crash of the COVID-19 pandemic. And generally speaking, there are four phases of market cycles, and they are accumulation, markup phase, distribution phase, and markdown phase. And in this episode, we're going to go into detail about each of these phases. But when you think about market cycles, we think about life cycles. And when you think about it, life, human life that is, is all about cycles. There are phases in human life that we go through. In human culture, in human life, you know, babies have a phase of learning, then become toddlers, then they start running around and dropping things and breaking things and possibly injuring themselves. That's how they learn. Then they become teenagers, then young adults, then have a family, then they think about retirement. Each of those cycles of life has those phases. And when it comes to money and stock markets, it's kind of similar. You have phases in those market cycles. Now, the problem is a lot of investors fail to recognize the simple fact of market cycles. When there's a boom, there has to be a bust. When there's a bust, there has to be a boom. Whatever goes up has to come down, and whatever comes down has to go up. 
So if you understand market cycles, then you may be able to time the market. Now, I'm not a market timer and I don't advocate for market timing. In fact, this whole podcast channel is kind of against market timing because I don't think I'm smart enough to time the market. But I know some of the listeners out there and some people do prefer to have a core and satellite approach when it comes to their portfolio. Having a core of index funds, perhaps, and having a satellite approach, which is based on individual stocks, which is then based on market timing. So the first phase of a market cycle is the accumulation phase. This is when the market has bottomed out. The insiders, the corporations, the astute investors, the institutional investors, they begin thinking the worst is over. And at this time, everything is on discount. Everything. And everything's on cheap. Valuations are very attractive. People are still very much bearish about the whole situation. Now, in episode 91, I talk about the bull markets, the bear markets. So if you haven't listened to that episode after this, go back and listen to it, because that tells you a little bit about what is a bull market, what is a bear market, and how do you invest during those cycles. And in accumulation phase, the people who watch the news get so nervous, they've already sold their assets and are sitting on a cash worried in their bunkers about the doom and gloom. You think about these sentiments and these emotions are probably coming out during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen this in 2020. And this phase is an opportunity for every buyer. When every seller is panicking, every astute buyer is pouring money into the markets to pick up those bargains. Now, if you have a look at the accumulation phase, which is the bottom phase, you think about what happened in 2007 with the GFC crisis. The stock market went from a high in Australia of 6,700 ASX points to 3,100. So they lost over 53% over a period of about two years. Similarly, in the US, it lost about 50% over a period of two years. The Dow Jones went from something like 14,000 to six and a bit thousand points. And a similar thing kind of happened in 2020 with COVID-19 where we lost about 30% of the ASX between the end of Jan and the end of March, when it sort of bottomed out. And the same thing kind of happened in America as well. So the index has lost money in both of these crises. And that, that you can call at the bottom of the market is the accumulation phase. Then the next phase is the markup phase. This is when market sentiment picks up because early investors have already bought in at the accumulation phase. Remember those astute investors, the institutional investors, the corporations, they've all bought in. Now, more buyers during the markup phase means there's more demand. And when there's more demand, prices start rising. The majority are now starting to realise, hey, I might miss the boat, so let's jump into the boat. Analysts and technicians, they start trending these markets. And overall, the trends appear very positive. The market sentiment is more positive. And the media start discussing things like the worst is over. Companies haven't really posted much profits, but the worst is over. That's the general sentiment echoed in the media. 
And of course, the average investor listens to that and they look at this as a buying opportunity and the late joiners start joining in the party. This is your average investors, moderately sized investors, not your, you know, smart money. Okay. These are, you know, you can call them dumb money, I guess, in a way, but these are average people that are getting in. And again, these people are fear. They have this fear of missing out. So as a result, you get more buyers jumping in and the markets go higher and they go higher. Now, the smart money and the astute investors begin to realize, hang on, there's too much euphoria in the market. And they start to unload their stocks. This means they sell. So remember, they've got in at the accumulation phase and now they're a little bit worried because there's a bit of euphoria in the markets and they want to sell out at the peak. So they're starting to get rid of some of their positions. Now, those investors selling means more opportunities for buying and more people jump in. Because remember, when they sell, the markets sort of stagnate a little bit, maybe drop a little bit. And then, of course, the average investor gets fear of missing out emotions and they start buying those stocks. So when people sell, more people buy. Of course, the people that are selling are the astute investors. The people that are buying are the average investors. And that keeps the prices relatively steady. Overall, though, there are more buyers in the market than sellers. So overall, the market trend in the markup phase is still high. It's going up. It goes higher and higher. Now the markets are so high in this phase that the greater fool theory prevails. This means people buy and expect another fool to buy the stock off them in order to make a quick buck. Then the market starts to flatten because, of course, greater fools realise, I'm not paying that much money for that. And this gives the false impression to late buyers that it's a great opportunity to buy because the markets are starting to flatten out. Remember, these people have been sitting on the sidelines wanting for things to flatten. So the late investors plough their money into the market too now. So you get an additional pool of money coming in after the initial astute buyers have dropped out, more retail buyers have dropped in, and then they want to sell at a higher price, but no one kind of buys and the market flattens. And of course, that sends a false signal to the remaining investors that the market is a good time to buy, so they jump in. And of course, when they jump in, this creates another little spike in the market. And by this time, the smart money has left the building and the dumb money is in the building and the building is about to collapse. This is next level euphoria. And the stage is now set for a complete collapse in the markup phase. And the third phase is the distribution phase. The distribution phase is when overall people start to realise that the bubble is about to pop. Something doesn't add up. And in this phase, it can be locked in for a period of weeks, sometimes for a period of months, and in more recent times, it can be a period of years. And during this period, investors are very happy sometimes, but also very nervous at other times. It's a mixed period where greed and fear the mixed emotions, mixed sentiments start prevailing the market. 
And usually during this phase, something happens geopolitically, globally, financially. So the GFC is a good example after a markup phase that kind of popped the bubble. And more recently, COVID is a good example, a global pandemic, I shouldn't say pandemic, it's not a conspiracy, pandemic, I beg your pardon, um, has basically tipped it over the edge. And people want to sell their stocks for profit, but they can't achieve them. So they settle for a small loss or even break-even point. And this creates the selling frenzy in the distribution phase. And then that leads to the markdown phase, the last phase of the market cycle. Now, during the markdown phase, the people who've been optimistic are holding on to their investment. The investments have now fallen below their cost price and investors are hanging on to their investments. It's kind of like hope that things will turn around, like a miracle. They're waiting for a miracle. And this is one of the classic mistakes active investors tend to make. This is where emotion gets the better of them. It's kind of like a bank robber who's about to get caught, but then clutches onto his bag of money. He knows the jig's up. He knows he's getting caught. He knows the police have him on their sights. But he hopes for a miracle somehow to get away. And he's holding on to the bag of money. We've all seen that in movies, in police shows. This happens a lot. And that's kind of how the investors feel, particularly the quote-unquote dumb investors. Because remember, the smart money has ran out the door. And markets start plunging more and more, and then they start realising this is a fool's game, and they start selling more and more, and more sellers get out. The ship is now sinking. And it has left the hopeful investors inside the ship thinking rescuers are on their way. There's always going to be someone in the ship thinking, nah, nah, I'm just going to hold on to these stocks because who knows, you know, it might rise in the future and let's just hold on and hold on and hold on. And they keep holding on while the rest of the people just swim for safety. And guess what? Rescuers are not coming. And meanwhile, smart money is outside the building watching the collapse, waiting on the sidelines, ready to jump in. Then these investors start buying, and this is when the next accumulation phase happens, and the cycle starts again. So that's the four phases of the market cycle. Now, in terms of time periods, is there any fixed time period for these phases? And the answer is no. Market cycles can last for months to weeks, to years, to decades. I mean, the last bull market was over a decade in America. And that was actually one of the longest bull markets that they've ever had. In fact, probably the most longest bull market. So there's no strict time frame for these phases, and there's no strict time frame for market cycles. For example, a day trader who uses five to ten minute time frames may see market cycles in one day. For a real estate investor, the market cycles can be 10 to 20 years. So when is the best time to buy? 
Well, using the market cycles, the best time to buy is the accumulation phase. This is when prices are at their lowest. And this is when valuations are at their lowest. So you can pick up some bargains. Now, these type of investors are called contrarians, and they're running into the markets when everyone is running out. So what do I do? I don't bother with market timing. I think everyone knows that. I'm a doctor. I'm not a day trader. I'm not an investing expert. I'm dollar cost average. I talk about this in detail in one of my earlier episodes. So what is dollar cost average? This means you consistently invest a set amount of money into the markets, mainly the stock market for me. And for me, out of those stock markets, it's index funds. And what you'll notice is two things will happen. When markets are high, you get less stock for your money or less units in your index fund for your money. And when markets are low, you get more stock for your money or more units in your index fund. And over the long term, 30, 40 years, it'll just average out. Things will just become the average. So dollar cost averaging just takes market timing out of the question. It allows you to ignore the noise and consistently invest for the long term. And this way, things will average out and we know markets rise over time and you're more likely to make money over the long term. Now, it may not be as good as market timing for some people, but market timing on the whole only works for a small percentage of expert investors who consistently get it right. I'm not an expert investor. My expertise is in medicine and healthcare. It's not actually in the stock market trading business. And the irony is that people who consistently put money into the markets over a period of time and just buy broad-based, low-cost index funds, often beat the active investors over a long period of time, taking into account costs. And that's true in Australia too. Passive investors over the long term beat active investors 80% of the time. So the odds are against active investors. That's not to say that active investors don't beat the market. They do. But the active investor who beats the market in the first year is not the same active investor that beats the market in the fifth year. And that's critically important to understand. Whereas the passive investor over time just comes out on top 80% of the time. Now, remember, the more you buy or the more you sell is the more you trade. And when you trade, when you buy and sell all the time, you make a bit of money, potentially, But the people that make the money are the brokers. Um, They take some of your money that you make. John Bogle says this best. In investing, you get what you don't pay for. And that's very true. That's about it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, we're fast approaching Christmas in Australia. From a pandemic position, Australia is in an amazing position. And it's really kudos to everyone who's contributed to this. Not just the healthcare workers, not state governments, not federal governments, not local governments, but everyone. And that includes the public. So I think we all have ourselves to thank 
when it comes to being in this fantastic position heading into Christmas. So, please maintain social distancing, take care of yourself, stay safe, and stay healthy. As for me, I just had friends over for a dinner recently for the first time since the start of the pandemic. So it was very nice to get back to some sort of normalcy. Um, and I hope that 2021 brings with it that same sort of normalcy, if not more, particularly with the vaccines on the horizon um, starting very soon. Now, please make sure you give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any podcasting app you're using. It really helps promote the podcast so more people can download and listen to it, particularly with the podcasting algorithms. So thank you very much if you've already done it. And if you haven't done it, make sure you give me that five-star rating, subscribe to the channel, and also review, write a review. And if there's a good review or, you know, maybe a bad review, I don't know if I'll read bad reviews, but uh, if it's a great review or something interesting, I'll definitely read it out live on the episode. And in that theme, here is a review um, from Scott1985 from Apple Podcasts. And Scott says, concise, to the point, and informative, great content, fit for Aussie listeners, and really builds upon each podcast, highly recommended. So thank you very much, Scott, for the review. I really appreciate it. Remember to like the DevRaga Facebook page. Shout out to any questions or comments or topic suggestions. Share this channel with family and friends with Apple Podcasts, Anchor App, CastBox, Spotify, etc. And hit that subscribe button. And remember, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That's your money, never to be touched again. And learn about market cycles. It may change your investing style. It may change your investing strategy. And remember, always think long term. This is Dev Raga, Personal Finance, Episode 101. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 